So tonight I'm here with uh, author C. Stephen Manley, who has been and done quite a few things in his life. Now he writes books and tries in vain to keep up with his children. Hey, Chuck, how are you doing, man? I am doing just fine, James. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic, um, mostly because I know something that the listeners... Well, actually, no, I guess by the time uh, listeners are hearing this episode, they will know what I know now. Oh, which yes. Is, <laughs> uh, so uh, um, I just recorded the first five chapters of uh, your book, Master of Hounds, for the episode that's going to go live, you know, for us chronologically tomorrow. Um, but for everybody else, it'll be a few episodes ago. So now we're talking to the author of that episode. And I got to say, I was blown away, man. Well, I, I, as I was saying pre-show, I, that your performance was quite good too. So I, uh, I think it's a kind of a mutual admiration situation there, but thank <laughs> you. I, uh, I had a lot of fun writing that book. I, uh, I, in the author's note, I talk about how it was inspired by a conversation me and my best friend had at a, at a cigar bar one night. And, um, and I've always wanted to write something set in my hometown. So it just, uh, kind of worked out and it was, it, I'm pretty proud of that book. Uh, you know, you, you absolutely should be, uh, like I mentioned during, uh, that episode when I was talking about it, after reading that excerpt, I immediately went out and got the whole book because I had to find out what happened. <laughs> um, and, and so I, my first question is, is something that occurred to me as I was reading it, um, because w when I jumped in, I, it, it felt, I mean, like, like it, it fit, you know what I mean? Like it, it felt comfortable. And I realized afterwards when I was thinking about why, you know, what, what made this story feel so good is that there, there were two main things. Um, one, you hit some of the the main like required tropes. I think all genre fiction has tropes that are kind of required in each genre in order to fit, in order to satisfy the fans. You know, there's you can leave some out, but uh, you know, it's but as soon as I started reading, I knew like, okay, that's okay, that's that's what this is gonna be. That's what you know, chapter two, as soon as Clint starts talking. Even if you haven't read the bio or the blurb on the book, you know, oh, okay, this is the origin story. He's going to get recruited. I mean, you just, you know, because that's how this works. But then the other part is that the mark of a good writer in genre fiction is to take those requisite tropes and make them interesting and new. You know what I mean? Like they, right. at no yeah. point, as soon as I was like, oh yeah, okay, I see Clint is going to get Clint's going to get recruited. It wasn't a, oh, okay, so I know what this is about. I'm done. It was, how's he going to do it? Right. How's he going to pull this off? And, you that, know? and, and that is, that's the question because, uh, I've been writing since I was about eight. So I'm 50 now. So I've been writing my entire life. And, um, most of that has been genre fiction. So I've learned over the years that people, someone comes to a, say an urban fantasy book, you know, they want a certain level of snark. They want a, at least a couple of really strong female characters. They want the magic system. They want the, the kind of modern contemporary vibe to it. You know, they want, they want all those tropes, but you, they want a spin on it. And that's, mm -hmm. that's where that how comes in. You know, they want something that's just a little bit different. A great example 
uh, one of the best examples I can think of that I uh, that I've enjoyed recently is the Craig Schaefer's Daniel Faust series. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he he took that whole he took the urban fantasy thing. There are wizards and monsters and there's demons and all this stuff, but he kind of turned it on its ear a little bit. You know, in, in that series, there is no grand council of wizards overseeing the magical world and making sure nobody breaks the laws. It's like basically it's uh, it's mafia rules. You know, you don't talk about magic or we're all going to gang up and make sure you never talk about magic. You know, that kind of thing. It's kind of a, a self-protection kind of situation. And he just played a lot with the tropes and, and that, uh, that was super successful. I wanted in, uh, both, uh, the Pikmin files books, which is master pounds is the first one. And in my previous trilogy, uh, the Paragons trilogy, I wanted to kind of take a magic system. If magic was real, you know, and if, if all that stuff existed, there would have to be some intersection between that and our more contemporary scientific outlook on the world, you know, technology and everything. Everybody's kind of, you know, they, they're looking more for the logical answers. Whereas so much of what you read about magic is more feeling and more instinct and that kind of thing. So there's uh, I wanted to kind of play around with where those two things would intersect in a, in an urban fantasy setting. And that's how I came up with one of the main protagonists, Arlo Dandridge, because he's mm-hmm. like this really super smart guy, but that's his whole deal. He's trying to figure out how the two interact. So that's where I was going with that. It was it was very, very well done. I, I really enjoyed narrating that. Um, enjoyed reading it. And, you know, so I, I after reading that, I, I went out and looked on Amazon and Audible. And on Amazon, I see that you've got what, like 10 to 15 books out. Oh, no, um, it's only about, I've got some short stories. I don't count those okay. really as books. I've actually, um, I've written two short stories that are follow-ups to Master of Hounds. And um, it's, a, it's a little series of short stories I'm doing called Closed Cases, Tales from the Pikmin Files. And so those, those make my profile look, or my uh, Amazon page look a little larger than it actually is. Actual <laughs> novels, I have uh Three, five, six, seven, six. Yeah, six. Math is hard. <laughs> That's why you write. That's, That's why right. I narrate. No, I have um, I have my Paragons trilogy. That's three books. I have a space opera series that I did just because I've never written anything with spaceships in it. And there's two books in that currently. And then Pikmin Files and then a short story collection that I actually have taken down recently. And then a uh a, a box set of the ebooks for the Paragons trilogy. So I think that's it. And then a handful of short stories. But no audiobooks. That, that is a nut. Away. My friend, that is a nut I have wanted to crack so bad for so long because it is a huge market. And I'm an enormous audiobook fan. I cannot read for, I can't read fiction for pleasure when I'm writing fiction. It just, my, my head doesn't want to do that but I can listen to it. So I get 95% of my fiction addiction satisfied through audiobooks these days. The problem is when ACX first came out, I kind of played around with that. I couldn't really find a narrator I liked and the I don't have a budget. 
that's my biggest mm-hmm. problem because the royalty split thing worked for a while, but that's that's not as you know narrators aren't good narrators aren't jumping on board with the royalty splits like they used to. So I've been trying to get the budget together so I could pay a quality narrator up front to you know to do a recording and then I could get it out there because I'll be honest with you I'm not. I'm not a strong business person. That's been the hardest learning curve part for me in this whole indie thing. So um, it's just, it's really just a matter of finding, finding somebody that can, that I can, you know, try to cut a deal with or whatever. But, sure. um, but I definitely, that's definitely a market I want to get into for sure. Well, tell you what, I, I don't want to put you on the spot here. Uh, Go ahead. I'm comfortable there. But I'm, I'm gonna. <laughs> um, I love this book. And, you know, I'm not saying you have to go with me as the narrator. Um, If uh, if you didn't love my performance, that's that's I'm not going to take that too personally. Uh, But I would love to either narrate this for you or make sure we get a narrator uh, that you love to get this in audio, because this this story is fantastic. And not not every author writes to be heard. You know what I mean? Like there, there are some stories that, um, they're just better on paper than they oh, are yeah. when you hear them. But this, uh, this, it has that perfect blend of, you know, cinematic feel. It lends itself well to the spoken word. Um, this, this needs to be an audiobook. book. Um, uh, well, I want to help, help you get that done. And I was quite happy with, with your performance. I really, I love the way you did Jubal Mott's voice that, that just, that caught me that that was just that's almost exactly what I had in my head when I was writing him. But uh, but yeah, no, I would be happy to discuss that further with you, because I'm sure you know a lot more about the business side of that particular industry than than I do. So you could probably fill my head full of knowledge. But yeah, I'm ha- I'd be happy to talk about that. Believe me. Awesome. Uh, this is going to happen. This you mark my words. This is going to happen. <laughs> OK. Um, <laughs> And, you know, surprisingly, and I think this is an appropriate topic for the, the podcast here, um, the, the business side of audiobooks, at least for the author, is, I think, not terribly different than just the business side of being an author, especially uh, if you're an author uh, that's uh, self-publishing or with a, a small independent publisher, because, you know, a, a ton of the work is promotion, getting your yeah. stuff out in front of people. You know, it's, it's just a matter, you can have the best book ever or the best audiobook ever, but if people don't see it, then, then nobody knows. Exactly. And so it's just, it's all about the hustle. And, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah that's and what I can, tell. I do some teaching, happen. uh, do some teaching here locally. Uh, you know, just young people or older folks who've never written before. They just, you know, I just do little classes at a local art center that we have. But, um, I tell them a lot of times, you know, people will come up to me like, yeah, I want to write this book that I've had in my head forever and I'm going to write it and I'm going to put it on Amazon and people are going to buy it and they're going to be backing up truckloads of money to my front door and I'm going to be famous. And I'm, I have to tell them that, no, no, there's, (laughs) there is a really, really big difference between writing books and selling books. Okay. And, uh, yeah. A lot of times people who are really good at writing them, uh, the selling part becomes kind of difficult. Uh, you know, I, I think for a lot of writers and, and I count myself in this number, um, 
it's such a different mindset because uh, writing is kind of this solitary in your own head kind of kind of experience. And if you spend a lot of time getting good at that, and then suddenly you have to put yourself out there and ask for attention and ask for for businessy type things, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of us introverts we choke when that when that happens. And, uh, you know, I have to, I, I tell people, manage your expectations, go slow and just learn it a little at a time and find the places, you know, where you want to put yourself out in the world and, and, and risk the rejection and the, you know, throwing money at ads and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's very different running a business as opposed to just writing your books. It's, it yeah. just is. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, I know there are just so many fantastic authors and and fantastic books that I'm just never going to get to come across. Because it's, it is, it's 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 uh, you know it's it's hard to make a splash in a pond this big, you know, and and it's uh, you know you just it's I'm gonna a lot of it. I think sometimes a big chunk of it is luck too, you know, hitting at the right moment sure. with the right thing in the right place because there's so many. Like everybody seems to think, okay, you just go to Facebook and you just join all the groups. Well, the thing about that is every other independent author out there is thinking the same thing. So you end up joining these groups and trying to sell to other authors who are, you know, <laughs> if you end up, you end up preaching to the choir basically. Right. So, uh, it's getting in front of readers is what you want to do. And that, that's a little, that's a little trickier sometimes. You know, I, I ran into the same thing with this podcast. I, uh, trying to figure out how to get it in front, you know, how to get people's attention with it. And you join all the groups and, Hey, advertise your podcast here. And you do. And then you realize the group is filled with 3000 people and all of them have a podcast and they're all just there to, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think talking about luck and having the right thing at the right time. Um, I, boy, I, I don't want to embarrass you and keep going on about this book, oh. but I, I'm, I'm gonna, um, you know, <laughs> we haven't had a good, like Jim butcher and the Dresden files. This is like my go-to, you know, when somebody asks what, what urban fantasy is about. Yeah. I give them Stormfront and I say, come back when it's done. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love it, but, uh, you know, th he's taking his time with these books yeah. and in, in the vacuum, there are so many, and they're well-written. I'm not knocking them. I love them. I read them to death. Um, but it's, you know, the the wizard, mage, half-demon, whatever, uh, male protagonist, first person. He's snarky. Uh, he's got a cop friend or a reporter. Or what, you know, it's, basically, they're all very similar to the Dresden Files, right? They're trying to fill that gap, and they're doing a great job. You know, they're they're feeding my, my genre addiction, and I, I, I love them for that. But... Master, of, I mean, the, the Pikmin files in general, like it, it's, it's different enough. You know what I mean? It's like when Iron Druid came out, right. it was different enough, right? Yours is a little bit darker. It's, uh, I just, I, I, I really think you're onto something here with this. Well, thank you. I do tend to, uh, most, uh, with the exception of the space opera thing I did, most everything I write, I, I tend to, I tend to, to put a little, a little of the horror element in there. Um, like my, uh, the Paragons trilogy, I like to call that my, um, urban or my dark, what, what did I say? It's a dark urban fantasy thriller 
with uh, superhero icing and horror sprinkles. It's a oh, big man. cupcake. It's my, See, it's that my, sounds awesome. <laughs> it's my little urban fantasy cupcake. But so has like the darker urban fantasy paranoia has has this like always been of interest of yours or well, did you just kind of stumble into it? I grew up uh I'm a I'm a child of the 70s for the most part. Um and uh so the first like grown-up book that I can remember reading was I was about oh gosh, I was like 8 or 9 years old. And I stole my mother's copy of Salem's Lot because she didn't, uh, she didn't want me to read it. And I really wanted to read it. Um, so I stole my, that. My, fir- and read my it. first book was Carrie. Yeah, there you go. See, um, See I think, I think prior to that entire generation of us, that's it. I think prior to that, I had read the first book I ever read was treasure Island. Mm-hmm. And then, and that, you know, that was good. I enjoyed it. Adventure fiction. It was fantastic. But then I read A Wrinkle in Time, and that's what kind of triggered my science fiction fantasy uh, fascination. And then Stephen King was was really kind of coming into his own at that point, and I and I just devoured everything I could get my hands on of his. And then I read Peter Straub and Robert McGammon and and uh, Clive Barker. You know, I just all the scary creep because in a lot of ways that. A lot of that, I would classify it as urban fantasy. You know, mm-hmm. a lot, of, a lot of King's stuff. I mean, especially like you get into the Dark Tower. I mean, yes, oh. he's he's you know he's dimension hopping and all that, but that's very much an urban fantasy kind of feel to a lot of those books. And another thing is, we went through a phase where, and it, and I blame Anne Rice because it started with her, where suddenly sec- vampires weren't monsters anymore. They were these angsty underwear models that, you know, we were supposed to feel sorry for and all this other stuff. And I don't know when I, you know, I just, I want my monsters to be monsters. You know, that's, it's, it's, it's humans and the things that are trying to eat the humans. That's, that's kind of how I see it. So I don't, I don't, I try not to, uh, I try not to put too much of that, of that, uh, underwear model monstrosities as I like to call them. Um, so, you know, and I think a lot of that comes out of my, uh, my early cutting my teeth on Stephen King and Salem's lot and, and all those other horror writers that I followed back then. So basically now you're, you're just producing the things that you loved to read growing up. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I'm telling, I, I try to tell the stories that I want to tell. I mean, I, I could follow Tro. I wrote this one short story that's up on my side. It's called Masks. And uh, basically, I, I say at the beginning, I put a little note at the front of it. And I said, look, th- I wanted to write my take on a Harry Dresden type wizard just being the guy, you know, in his city taking care of business against all the things that go bump in the night. And, uh, you know, and, and I just tell them it's a straight up rip off, but here it is. I could write stuff like that and, uh, and, and I'm sure it would be fine, but you know, th- there are certain things that I think a lot of writers, we just have this, it's that twist I was talking about that spin, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's the stuff that really speaks to us. And that's what I try to do 
with uh with all my fantasy stuff is i just i really try to put my own little my own little tweaks on it you know i try i have a saying actually i have two sayings that i try to apply to all my work first of all fun is rule one if 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 the reader's not having fun then i have not done my job um i consider myself a drug dealer and escapism is the drug i'm pushing <laughs> you know i want somebody to pick up one of my books and forget about the fact the rent's due or their mom's sick or the kids need shoes or whatever i want them to forget about their life for the duration of the time that they're reading my story so fun is rule one and then the other the other thing i always try to keep in mind is real characters in unreal situations you know, even if my characters can, you know, throw fireballs or teleport or do whatever, that's still a, a human person doing that. And I don't ever want them to become just these vehicles for these abilities. And I see that a lot of times in, in some of the fantasy I read, urban fantasy, because I really believe there's not that huge a difference in a lot of ways that there's a very, very fine line between urban fantasy and the superhero genre. You know, it's really just sure. a series of, uh, you know, certain tropes would push it over into the superhero genre, but you know, you've got Harry Dresden and he commands the elements and throws fireballs and wind spells and all this stuff. Well, you know, you, you crank up his power level a little bit and he's Dr. Strange. It's just kind of that, that kind of thing. So uh, the point is, I don't ever want my characters to feel like they're just these these cardboard cutouts that can just do all this really cool stuff, and I get to write a lot of actiony stuff. I want to keep real characters doing in, in these crazy situations, and they handle them as a human being would handle them. And I try to, I try, always try to keep that element in mind. You know, I uh, I think judging by this one book, I think you've done a fantastic job with it. I was thinking, um, as you were talking about the doctor, uh, and, and if you haven't read the book, if you've only heard the first five chapters, um, this, this isn't a spoiler for you. Hopefully you've heard the other episode. So you know <laughs> that she's, she's not around for very long and she doesn't say very much, but she's very clearly a real person. You know, she's, um, she wasn't a plot device. Right. You know, I, you know, I, I cared about what happened to her when it happened to her. Um, and I think that's, um, I, I almost wonder if, if, if that isn't a skill that can't be taught. I know some authors, um, that are successful, but they don't necessarily have that, the, the ability to make real people that we care about, even out of some of the, uh, you know, people that only show up for a few pages, yeah. uh, which leads me to ask, um, did you, did you study writing? Are you, are you mostly self-taught? I know you mentioned you, you teach a little bit, um, but where did all of the, where did this skill come from for you? Well, um, I've told this story on a couple of other shows, but I'll share it with you too. Um, let's cast our mental way back machines to about 1975. And uh, eight-year-old Chuck was living in Pasadena, Texas, and it was around Halloween time. And my uh, my teacher asked us to write a Halloween-themed short story as a class assignment. So I wrote I wrote this story called "The Ghost Town," and wrote it in big squiggly letters at the top of the page in those little black and white primers that we had back in the day, and. Uh, we got done and I turned it in 
and she read it and she liked it so much. She read it to the class and they liked it so much that they went and read it to the other class that was the same grade as ours. And that teacher liked it so much that she took it to the principal and he stapled it up on the little cork board outside the lunchroom door. So as all the kids were standing in line to go to lunch, my story was on that thing and they could look up and read it and, and all that. And that made me feel like a rock star. So um, to answer your question, yes, I think that I, uh, I, I did have a natural uh, talent for, uh, for storytelling and I had a, a natural love for fiction and reading and just, just story in general. But, you know, talent alone is not enough. And I have spent, uh, like I said, I've spent the last 40 some odd years uh, going to classes and critique groups and reading every writing book I can get my hands on and writing, you know, the books I have up on Amazon aren't my first novels. I've got three closet novels sitting about 10 feet from me here in my, in my closet and, you know, probably millions of words and short stories and essays and creative nonfiction and just, you know, talent, talent is great. Talent is awesome, but it won't carry you through unless you put some hard work and some craft behind it as well. That's my opinion. Um, I think somebody who works hard at craft and tries to, uh, tries to learn it and, and puts in the time and, and works at the keyboard the way they should, Versus somebody who just has maybe a little natural talent and sits down and, you know, kind of just pounds stuff out. I think the person who puts in the time is always going to come out on top. I really do. So um, can it be taught? Maybe. I don't know. You know, I, I just kind of write the way I write. And I try to help other people who want to write by figuring out how they write and helping them be the best writers they can be. I actually did a podcast for a while called the story shots podcast, a little 15 minute episode. Each episode covered a different writing tip, like show don't tell or characterization or whatever. And I got through, it was just me and a microphone talking. So I got through like 40 some odd episodes of that thing. And, and I just, I kind of ran out of things to talk about. So, uh, but I, I like to help people try to, try to find their own voices. So it sounds like you're landing on maybe it can, maybe it can't be taught, but if it's there, it can absolutely be enhanced through putting in the time and effort to hone the craft. You sum that up very nicely. Thank you. You know, it comes with listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you said that you like to think of your your work as uh well you said you were a drug dealer and you, you <laughs> considered your drug was escapism yeah and um you know God, I'm I'm never gonna knock a good you know popcorn movie or or popcorn book you know the equivalent of that um I I love it to death but do you think there is opportunity to to look at deeper things underneath kind of the, the the sugary coating of genre fiction right it maybe it's people and the monsters that eat them um, but is there much of an opportunity within that to explore other aspects of the human condition i absolutely think there is but i think you have to do it in a really 
subtle and understated way. Um, for instance, uh, both Master of Hounds and uh, my previous uh, previous Paragons trilogy, I, there was a common theme in those that um, looking at uh, the way information is disseminated these days. You know, you got the fake news and you got people getting into the Facebook and internet and all this and trying to make people think they know the truth mm-hmm. when, when the truth is actually this objective thing that's happening beyond the information where b- people are getting fed, you know? And, uh, I approach the paranormal in these books, like, uh, basically from the, from the perspective of yes, the monsters and the stuff that, that, that you've heard about are real, but you don't know anything about them. You just know what you've been told and what you've been told isn't true. And, you know, that is a theme about, you know, being so certain in what you know is real and what should, what is true and, and, and the evidence. So quote unquote, that you may have, but maybe it's not because you only know as much as the person teaching you this, you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's kind of an undercurrent through those books of that, always, you know, that people should always try to maybe keep in mind what they don't know, you know, and 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 where they're getting information and that kind of thing. So to answer your question, yes, I think you can explore deeper deeper things within genre fiction, be that urban fantasy or epic fantasy or, uh, you know, space opera, whatever. But people who read genre fiction don't want to be beat about the head and shoulders with a, with a, with a cause stick. You know, they just, they, they want to enjoy their story, but then after they finish the story, if they go, huh? Yeah, that's maybe I should think about that. Yeah. That'd be kind of cool. But man, that was fun when they had that big fight. You know, that was great. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you, you got to kind of, yeah, yeah. you got to put it on that bottom layer and just, just enough for them to notice. And the people that want to notice will, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as soon as you started talking about that, I, I thought, you know, we learn, for example, so much about who Clint is by how he reacts to finding out, you know, Everything you thought you knew about the world hey, might not be true. Yeah, that's not so much. You know? Not so much. I don't know how far you've gotten in the book, but there's a, a great scene where uh, he and Arlo are in a car, and Arlo's basically laying out uh, the truth about the supernatural to him. And uh, he he describes it like this: is that the supernatural is kind of like uh, Hollywood movie stars, you know. You can sit in your home in whatever state you live in and you can watch a movie with, I think I used Chris Evans for something, but you know, you see this guy on TV. Well, do you know this guy's real? Well, sure. I see him on the TV, but you know, how do you know he's not some sort of computer generated thing? What's he like? What's the real person like? So if you, if you want to get closer to that, maybe you move to California and your chances of brushing up against uh, the reality of a movie star uh, they go up, but you're still pretty far away because those guys stay isolated. Well, let's say you get into the movie business 
And then you get into, you know, you get into directing or whatever. And eventually you end up in the room and you're with the truth of that individual. That individual represents the supernatural, but most people are still sitting on their couch at home. So they think they know what that person's like, but the truth is something could be something entirely different. So that that's kind of how they approach it. So with uh, taking the, the approach of the supernatural is real, but what you think you know about it is probably wrong. What percentage do you find that, uh, you know, you're pulling from actual uh, history and, and folklore and, and you know, uh, supernatural st- stories versus just creating things on your own, you know, m- molding it uh, to your own purposes? Well, um, in Master of Hounds, I'm actually going to make a, an actual effort to tie real world events into the story, but change them in such a way to where, excuse me, um, to where there's a, there's an explanation behind them that nobody knows about that Clint sort of finds out about as he's, as he's experiencing different things. Um, I'm currently, uh, getting started on the second book, Child of Magic, and there's, there's, there's some things like that in there. Um, but I'm actually, I'm using um, the Lovecraftian mythos a lot for this. And uh, it's going to come to light that, that Lovecraft was, was connected to the Pigman organization. And uh, a lot of his stories are kind of half-truth cover-ups of what the what the actual events were and that kind of thing so i'm uh, for for uh pigment files i am drawing uh reasonably heavy on the uh on history but i am definitely putting my own spin on everything and trying to uh trying to make it a little more interesting uh paragons uh really there was a lot more of me just making stuff up um because that was that one kind of butts up against, like I said, the superhero genre a little bit. So I just had a little more fun with that. And, uh, and, you know, I like coming up with things to make people go, ah, cool. You know? <laughs> so, um, I ask everybody this question okay, and I think I know what the answer is going to be based on, uh, your, your earlier stories, but were you a weird kid? Oh, hell yes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm still a weird kid. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the follow-up question. Is, are you still here? Um, yes, I was the kid that I was super shy, and I always had comic books in my and and you know in my 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 big uh, three ring binder thing, and you know I, and uh, my weird you know and I moved around a lot growing up. I had to what I like to call an overly dramatic home life. So I was always escaping into something, comic books, novels, whatever I could escape into voyage to the bottom of the sea. I love that TV show back in the day. But, um, when I got into high school, um, I, you know, it got worse because I discovered Dungeons and Dragons and, uh, I've been, a, and I'm now, you know, like I said, 30 some odd years later, I've, I've, I'm still a gamer. And I still play D and D once or twice a month, and uh, it's just which rule set? Uh, right now we're doing five E, but I've run everything. Uh, I've played every game system under the sun. I think um, I, I played Hero System for years and years when I was in the Air Force, and um, 
you know, it's just, yes, I'm weird. My wife and I have come to the conclusion that I'm really just some sort of high functioning, insane person uh, that just my head's just not quite right. Cause I'm still not real outgoing. Um, I'm still kind of an isolationist and I know I shouldn't be, but I am. And, uh, you know, it's like, she, uh, I worked in healthcare for a long time and actually the scenes that you read from the book, that's the hospital I used to work in. But, mm-hmm. um, it's like, she thinks because I don't want to socialize and do all this stuff for a long time, she would think, well, you just don't care about people. I said, I do care about people. I want people to be happy and safe and comfortable and all that. I just don't need to be close to it while it's happening. <laughs> Oh God, that's awesome. You know, that's a lot of that is why I narrate. Um, <laughs> I, I have the ego of an actor, but I'm, I'm a serious introverted nerd. So I want to perform, but I don't want anybody to be around me when I'm doing it. <laughs> uh, I, I like being isolated in my box. I do my thing. It goes out there. People enjoy it. I'm not there when they do. And I like that. Yeah. So one of the hardest I, I things for me to do, from. my wife's my first beta reader on everything. And, but the hardest thing for me to do is hand her some pages to read and just sit there. I mean, it's just, I'm (laughs) like, Oh, it drives me crazy. I got to take the dog for a walk or something. I can't, you know, I just, I I get angsty and nervous and it's like, and I don't know, you know, she, it's not like she's going to come. I want a divorce. This is just terrible. You know, (laughs) I just, uh, it's just that, that artistic, you know, side of me it's right. just uh, waiting You're for that putting criticism. yourself out there yes yeah. yes I, I felt the same way last night because i you know i knew you were going to see this uh you know or hear the, the the story the audio story uh that i did and so i mean god nobody's gonna be as critical as the author well, you you nailed it buddy <laughs> i mean i was i was very happy with like i said i loved the way you captured jubal's voice that was just spot on man so what was the the coolest or weirdest thing about hearing your words in somebody else's voice, hearing wow. it told back to you? I mean, over, well, number one, I've been wanting to, like I said, crack the audiobook market. So just hearing it in general was, was awesome. Be- and because I'm such an audio, audiophile. Um, but, uh, oh God, the weirdest thing. Um, I, I, you know, I think the weirdest thing is your performance was great and I loved it, but I think everybody reads a little different, mm-hmm. like the, there's a different cadence or, or Paul, you know, like, like if I, cause I read stuff out loud when I'm writing it, that's kind of one of the ways I check it. And like, there would be pauses in your performance that where I would have just like read right through it, you know, but, but I think that when I'm reading it out loud, I'm kind of trying to get through it because I'm trying to finish writing the book and it's not so much a performance as it is, um, as it is just utility. And so I think that was kind of weird because I would, you would come to lines and, and I have a tendency to have these compound sentences where it's like this happened and this happened. 
and uh and this happened and this yeah happened. <laughs> but um <laughs> but a lot of times when i would read the I, I, it occurred to me that when i read those i would say this happened and this happened and you would say this happened and then this happened you know which your way was so much more dramatic and had so much more impact so that was you know i'm, I'm kind of like going along with you in my head doing it my way and listening to your way and the and the juxtaposition of those two things i w- was it was kind of cool, but kind of weird at the same time. So, uh, it was, yeah, no, I was very happy with it. Very. And you caught a Thank couple you. of typos I missed. So that was, that was good. <laughs> nobody will notice. Nobody will know. And they're little things, you know, it's those things you just read right over when, when, uh, when you're reading. <laughs> so, um, with being a weird kid and being a huge fan of, of the genre, um, how about, how about you? How about Chuck? Do you believe to any degree in the supernatural, in ghosts or, or sorcery or, or monsters that eat humans? Any of that? No, not even a little bit. No, to- total unbeliever. No, yeah, I am a, I am a skeptic from, from way back. Uh, uh, no, I don't believe in anything supernatural. That being said, uh, I am very, very interested in what people will believe. I have bookshelves full of, uh, of uh, theolo- you know, theology and, and mythology and folklore and stuff. Um, I'm just, I'm, I've always been a show me the evidence kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people tell fantastic and amazing stories. And I think that supernatural things make for the best stories because they're so entertaining and they're so mysterious and there aren't any hard answers about these things. So in fiction, it's wonderful. But in the real world, uh, you know, I just I haven't seen any evidence to make me think that there's there's anything supernatural out there. But that doesn't mean I'm going to stop learning about it and reading it. And, you know, and I, in a way you know, maybe I'm still looking. I don't know. I mean, that's, I tend to, I tend to approach things from a, if I want the answer to something, I'm going to research it until I find the answer I want. So, you know, maybe my whole interest in, in, uh, mythology and folklore and that kind of thing is, is I'm still looking for, for the fantastic, you know, I don't know. So, so I'm hearing less of a hard no than more of a kind of a soft agnostic. Maybe, maybe it's out there. You just haven't seen anything of it yet. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would, I would buy that. I mean, I'm. So, if, so if Arlo pulls open, up. I, I say I am a. I don't believe in that stuff, but I am open to new evidence. There you go. So, if, if Arlo pulls up, yeah, yeah. invites Arlo, you for a ride. Arlo knocks on the door and says, "All right, we need to talk." Hey, I'm, I'm down and I will, I will make him a cup of tea and I will listen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, um, you had mentioned, uh, you know, being in, uh, several other podcasts, you are actually like a host co-host of, I mean, audio was no, no new thing for you. Uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, like I said, I did the, I did the one by myself, uh, the story shots podcast, which is still available on, on uh, iTunes and stuff. If anybody's looking for writing tips, but, um, I was interviewed on a show called keystroke medium a while back. And after that interview, or actually I was interviewed twice by these guys, um, Scott Moon and Josh Hayes, 
they came to me and said, Hey, we're looking for another co-host. Do you want to jump on board? And I said, sure. Sounds fun. Let's do it. And, um, that one, I just kind of show up and run my mouth and I'm, I'm kind of learning how to do the YouTube and the, and the hangouts and all that stuff. Cause it's a video thing. We do it on, on YouTube, uh, every Monday night at eight, by the way, anyway, uh, <laughs> but, um, the, the other one, the story shots, that was just me and a mic. So I had to like download audacity and get myself a decent microphone and, you know, do all this stuff and, and learn about how I had no idea there was so many bells and whistles attached to doing a professional recording. I mean, it's just, it's these sound engineer guys. I mean, they're, they're like a special breed because I'm still, they're they're sorcerers. They really are because I, I still look at all those options and that when I'm trying to clean up an audio thing and I look at all the different things you can do and I still don't know what like 85% of them are for. So it's, uh, but yes, I, I, I actually enjoy recording cause I'm, I'm like you. I, uh, I can sit here and talk to this microphone and give advice to people over, over a webcam, you know, all day long, but, or I can even stand in front of a room of like 15 or 20 people and say, Hey, this is what you need to do to accomplish this thing. And I'm fine. It's that, that one-on-one face-to-face stuff where I start getting really choky. And, um, so I really, I, I like the podcasting, uh, format for, for information. And people tell me, uh, that I'm like, apparently they like my voice. I don't know, but, uh, <laughs> I'm sure you know what that's like, but, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always looking for a chance to, to f- reach out to people in a new way via the old microphone. Sure. So having been interviewed, having been involved in podcasts, um, what, what question do you find yourself really wishing somebody would ask Ooh. you, right? Is there, is there something that you, you would love to talk about or some nugget you would love to share and you just, you know, you keep hoping, so God, I just, well, why don't I want somebody to ask me about huh. this? I, I've never considered that because I don't find myself all that interesting. Um, <laughs> I, uh, and I, I, I like to talk about, uh, writing and stuff. I, you know, I've, I've never, the, actually there's one question that comes to mind. Um, my, the two guys I do keystroke medium with Josh and Scott, Scott always has a question that he would ask, uh, people that he was interviewing them. And he always did it towards the end of the episodes. He would say, all right, so what was your favorite secondary or supporting character that you like that, that you enjoyed writing the most? I always thought that was kind of a cool question because everybody wants to talk about the main character, but there's always you know, that guy off to the side, who, who do you enjoy in the supporting cast? He never asked me that question, neither on any of my interviews or anything. That's kind of a minor thing. And it's the screed brothers from the Paragon trilogy, by the way. But, um, <laughs> well, but, well, why is it them? Cause they are so delightfully bad. Um, <laughs> they're just, they're total sociopaths, but Imagine Sam and Dean Winchester from Supernatural as just these, these like complete murder, not like crazy. I want to kill everybody murders, but you know, 
killing somebody to them is like scraping something off their shoe. You know, they'll, they'll do it for fun. And there's, they have a, they have their own, these two brothers have their own story arc through all three of those books. And I don't know, they were just, they were a lot of fun to write, especially the, the younger brother, Carmen. He was just, just so very bad and very crazy by the end of it. It was just a lot of fun. Do you find the bad guys in general more fun to write? Sometimes it, it depends. Um, I like, I find the snarky guys fun to write. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think most characters, you know, everybody's got a sense of humor and you're going to have a little smart ass here and there, no matter what the character is. But the ones that just, the ones where it's a total defense mechanism and they do it all the time. Those I tend to, you know, they always have these cool turns of phrases and then they say the wrong thing and there's the other characters react to that. You know, that, that always tends to be fun. Uh, sometimes that's the protagonist. Sometimes it's the antagonist, but, uh, I like writing snark a lot. Really? I think. What what does that say about you? Oh, I'm, a, <laughs> what do we learn I, about you? From I am that? a well-established smart ass man. Just ask my mom. She'll tell you. <laughs> Uh, so I want to circle back all the way, uh, almost to the beginning of our conversation with this question, okay. um, because we had talked about, and, and I made a note at the time that I wanted to, to get to this, um, you know, putting your own unique spin on traditional tropes in genre fiction. How do you, how do you do that? How do you make sure that you're bringing, you know, Chuck Manley to this particular trope? What, you know, is there a way you going, you go about doing it? Um, and if others are, are interested in, in writing in their, you know, in their heads, they're like, okay, I, I, I know all the check boxes I need to hit, Yeah, but I, how do I make this more than just a cookie cutter thing? How do I, how do I put my spin on it? I think that comes down. So how do you do I think it? that comes down to two things, really. Um, the first I really believe is taking the time to develop your voice as a writer. Uh, even if I was to sit down and take the plot of uh, Stormfront or any of the other Dresden books and take all the, all the beats and the plot points and all that stuff. And I was to rewrite those books, they would, they would be different. My voice would put a different spin on those books than butcher's voice. And I'm a huge Dresden fan. I've read all the short stories, all the books, all the comics, everything. But I think that developing your voice is automatically going to do some of that. The other thing is to really, what I would do is I would sit down, I would write whatever book I had in mind. And then I would, look at that, that first draft. And if it seemed too much like, you know, Dresden or, or, uh, Iron Druid or, you know, whatever, then I would say, okay, why does it seem like that? And how can I change the parts that seem like that to be a little more unique? You know, a lot of people think that, that you want to go in and have all that stuff figured out right from the get go. You write one draft and you put it out there and it's a big hit. And that's not the case. I think that you, you need a lot of times to have something on paper and then look at it 
and tweak and adjust and 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 find that inspiration because a lot of times inspiration comes while you're writing the draft so you may get an idea for something to put a spin on something and uh during the course of the writing so really i think it's just a matter of developing your own unique voice as a writer and looking at what's popular and been done and and what you want to write and just and and finding places to to tweak it a little bit to say okay instead of vampires uh not wanting to go out in the sunlight you know maybe they're allergic to water or something you know you see what just find that it's still what people know but you want to just turn it on its head a little bit i mean it, and it's going to be a little different for every project. I mean, it depends on who you are and what you're writing. So I think it's those two things more than anything. Okay. So uh, what can we expect from you in the near future? You said you're working on book two in the Pikmin Files. Yes. Uh, I am currently struggling through uh, the third book of the Space Opera thing. Uh, it's called the Brace Cordova Trilogy. And, I, and I'm doing that because... Uh, there are fans of that series that are going to hunt me for sport if I don't get it out there. Uh, That's always a good yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot of them, but they're very passionate. And um, the thing about it is that my uh, foray into space opera taught me that I'm a, I'm a much better consumer of science fiction than I am creator of it. And that I'm uh, that urban fantasy is my first and truest love. But uh, I, like I said, I'm doing the pre-work for, um, uh, Child of Magic, which is the second Pikmin book. And then uh, I've also got the basic outline for uh, the third one, which is going to be called Mother of Warlocks. So the Pikmin Files is very much an ongoing project. So basically it's going to be Brace Cordova. It's going to be Child of Magic and Mother of Warlocks. And uh, Keystroke Medium, we're doing a epic fantasy anthology, just kind of a swords and sorcerer adventure kind of thing that I'm writing a short story for there. So I've got I've got a lot of of stuff on the plate, as it were. Nice, and you know, eventually, very uh, um, before twenty nineteen is out, at least one audio. Hey, dude, we uh, we absolutely <laughs> can talk about that. I am I am all ears, man. Awesome. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so My much pleasure. for taking uh, time to talk to me. Uh, love talking to you. Love your your insight into uh, creating this this genre that I love to consume. Really. So, you know, th thank you for for feeding my addiction. You are quite welcome, and I will continue to do so. Awesome. And and I I hope you come back. Uh, you know, when, when the next books come hey, out, I'd be happy oh, to hey, anytime. Speaking of before we, before we sneak off, uh -huh. can we get any, can we get any spoilers? Ooh, um, what would be a good spoiler? I'll, I'll give you one small one. Uh, well, I don't know if that would really be a spoiler or not, but, uh, there's a character in, uh, that's not really a spoiler if you haven't read the book though it's hard to say i'll tell you that in the second book uh there's going to be a lot of activity in the city of new orleans in child of magic oh and uh arlo i told you before arlo has a tendency to uh want to try and find the intersection between science and magic 
he's going to meet up with an old friend who's kind of the opposite of that. Very traditional, very, ah, you're just, you damn kids today, you know? And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll, that's, I don't know if those are spoilers, but that's coming in book two. <laughs> awesome. And for those of you who don't know, Darth Vader is Luke's father. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my favorite go-to spoiler. That is, that's the um, ultimate, yeah. He sees dead. He right. was dead the whole time. Oh, okay. So I, I, I'm trying to wrap this up, but, uh, I, uh, two weekends ago, uh, my 13 year old and I sat down and watched the sixth sense for the first time, his first time. And, uh, you know, basically all I told him was, this is the only M night Shyamalan movie you ever really need to see. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, even with, as long as it's been out, he did not know that he was dead that the whole was time. Just, you know, that was just a masterful his, filmmaking. Oh my, his, his whole thing, what he thought the twist was that the kid sees dead people. Right. And so he's waiting and oh my God, the look on his face when Bruce Willis realizes that he's a ghost. I mean, just, I literally watched his head explode yeah, that's, for that. that was I love awesome. those moments. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much. This has been a blast. I, I hope you enjoyed it I as well. I absolutely did. I'll be happy to come back anytime you want me. Fantastic. Thanks.